Welcome to Nest Church, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nestchurch.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are um, We are jumping into um, chapter 5 today. You're like, what are you talking about? We have been now in a series of messages titled Under the Sun, and it's all based on the book of Ecclesiastes as we've come to understand, um, most likely, as we believe, written by King Solomon. King Solomon, one of the wisest men to ever walk on this earth, the son of King David. I could stand here and continue to give you this introduction of who Solomon was, but I feel like we do that every Sunday. So you have to go back and listen to part one and two and three and four, or, and, and then finally get to this uh, fifth installment of Under the Sun to know a little bit about who Solomon is. So you have a great homework to do. If you have not done so, go listen to all the other messages. Amen? Amen. But today we're going to jump into this fifth part of our series under the sun. If you're taking notes, write this down. What am I going, what are we going to call this talk today? What are we going to name this conversation today? If I can name this conversation anything today, this is what I'm going to name it. It's guard your worship. Guard your worship. And I want to talk to you a little bit about that. Um, I don't want to say by the raising of hands and stuff like that. I don't want to ever make anyone feel awkward when we get together. By the way, it's very awkward to stand up here and know that many of you are scared of the front row, but it's okay. I see that. I see. Except from Ando and Lisi and, and Debbie, everyone else is terrified. I'm not sitting in the first rows. We invite you to move on up next Sunday. Amen. Where was I? ADD kicked in. Oh, my goodness. Guard your heart. It, worship. Yeah. I was going to tell you I was going to tell you something about worship, and it was this. It's more than just songs. It's more than an instrument. And I hope that today we understand that what we just had for some 30, 40 minutes, it's not just called worship. It's called a very small portion of worship. But worship is embedded in every fabric of who, in in the fabric of who we are, in every detail of our being we find what worship is and what worship should be. Not just in a song, not just in instruments being played. It's more than that. In Ecclesiastes chapter 5, depending what Bible translation you're reading from, in bold, it labels it this way or it titles it this way. One translation from which I'm reading um, Ecclesiastes 5, English Standard, says, Fear God. The New Living, I love it the way they... um, went ahead and titled it, they titled it, Approaching God with Care. I like that one better. Approaching God with Care. I want to start in verse 1, and I want to kind of have a conversation on verse 1 with you, and we'll see how long we go until we get to verse 2. But in verse 1, he writes these words, and he starts with three words that are very important, which you should highlight, circle, write down in your notes, and it's this, verse 1. He says, guard your steps. Maybe you've had a, I'm going to finish reading the rest of the verse, don't worry. But maybe you've had a, a, a situation when you were younger and you were at school and someone looked at you and said, watch yourself. Uh, my generation, we used to say, watch your back. What did your generation, I shouldn't ask that. I'm scared of what some of you are going to say. But Solomon says it this way, watch your steps. I mean, when I hear that, you know, the mobster mentality comes in, you know, from all the mobster movies and all that. It's like, whoa, what is he going to say next? Watch your steps. Well, well, look what he says. He says, guard your steps when you go into the house of God. To draw near, to listen is better, this is huge, than to offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know that they are doing evil. I want you to see verse 1 and, 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 and what Solomon is, is telling us. I, I immediately thought about James. In, in the book of James, verse 20, chapter 1, verse 22, it kind of mirrors what Solomon is saying in chapter 1. James says it this way. He says, don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, um, Solomon uses the word fools, foolish, and here's James, and he's 
Using the word fooling, he says, otherwise, you're only fooling yourself. Listen to what God is saying in his word. Be obedient is what James is saying. Walk in its truth. If not, guard your steps. Watch your back. If not, you're only fooling yourself, he says. I want us to see these scriptures for what it is. Guard your steps. So what I did was I said, okay, guard your steps. What he was really saying here as well is guard your worship. Because the words guard your steps, what they mean is, is guard your feet. Look at where you're walking um, obviously, when we walk, we look down occasionally or we look straight. But as we look straight, we're looking at the floor because we want to see if there's a, some sort of crack on the sidewalk, if there's a ditch, right? If there's a, a, a piece that's sticking out because the last thing you or anyone wants to do is trip and fall and make yourself a mockery with the person you're walking with or with those that are watching you. So what do you do when you walk subconsciously because you've been walking for a long time? Some of you, because you're gifted, you start started at five months, seven months. Some of you, maybe a year or two years. I don't know. Some of you, we walked in today and we were like, I don't know if that's even considered walking, but we're walking. And what do we do? We subconsciously, we guard our steps. We watch where we walk. If you're walking and you see that there's a lake in front of you and you just keep walking into the lake and you turn around and say, I didn't see the lake. What do you think the people around you are going to say? You're a fool. The lake was in front of you. How can you say you didn't see it? You would say something's wrong with that individual. Something's not right there. They're missing something to walk right into that puddle, to walk right into that hole, to trip right over that log that was in the middle of their path. How can they walk and not guard their steps? Solomon is writing to the reader, to us today, and he says, hey, guard your feet. And when does he tell us to guard our feet specifically? Did you catch it? We'll put it back on if you didn't. Huh? When you come where? When you go. When you enter into the house of God. A.K.A. We could also say not just the house of God, but where else? Into the presence of God. What Solomon is saying is, is guard yourself. Guard your steps. Guard your feet. Guard. And we're going to see what he means by this. It's worship. It's it's really pay attention whether you are reverent in your worship when you are in the presence of the Lord. Don't just uh, flip it over and just be like, yeah, how was worship today? It was okay. You know, that, that guy sang today, that girl sang today. You know, the tambourine came out. It's so much bigger than that. Whether you like the way some of these guys up here, gals, girls, guys and guys, uh, whatever, team, if you like the way some of them sang or didn't, or if they were on tune or not, or whether how they transitioned from one song to another, or if you like the way the person next to you screamed a little bit louder than you or clapped, hey, how about this? Someone in front of me raised your hand. I would never raise my hand in church. Listen, worship is so much more than all of that. It's so much more than this, 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 than that. It's more, it's deeper. And Solomon says, guard your steps. Guard your feet when you come in to worship God. You know, another way of saying this, it's um, saying this, behave yourself. I, I do that with my kids all the time, you know, because we've got to show we're the model family. So when we go to someone's house, I look at them and I say, hey, we're about to get down. You know the rules, behave yourself. Behave yourself when you're in their house. Why? I'll be honest with you, because I don't want you guys to know that me, Nancy, and the kids are crazy. <laughs> and we're crazy. So the day that we go to your house and our kids behave well, they guard their steps. I told them, watch your back. Dad is watching. Especially when you come into the house of God, behave yourself. Behave yourself. And he says, listen and hear. He says this, to draw near to listen is better. Hey, how many of you came to church today? Do you know you're in church today? Okay, good. You're at church today. This church is called Nest Church. 
We came to church today. Amen? Now, why did you come if you're not going to listen? Why are you here if you're not going to hear? Hopefully, you came to listen. Hopefully, you came to hear. And Solomon says these words. He says, to draw near to listen is what? Is better. It is better than to offer sacrifice of fools. For they don't know they're actually doing evil. Is that an amber? Lord, I pray for that amber. Oh, oh it's tornado. Lord, I pray for that tornado. If you're watching online or whatever time it is and whatever day, we are <laughs> we're alive so far. We're good. Everyone's going outside. It's okay. Okay, here we go. To listen is... Is better. This is a warning that Solomon is speaking of here. One's enough. Oh, today's a good church day, isn't it? Good day to go to, to church. All right, here we go. What Solomon is saying is don't be lazy to overlook true sacrifice. Let's get back into this. Let's get our minds. <laughs> Everyone do me a favor. Sit on your phones. <laughs> this is rough. We, when I, um, I, come from a, I come from an old school church that, the old school church right now, right now at this time, the old school church, the old schoolers, would have paused and cast it out. The technology demons. That are causing all our, um, all our interruptions here. Oh, I rebuke. And, and I mean it. Like, full out intercessory. And the church would have been like, amen. Hallelujah. And they would have started casting out demons on the phones. All right, here we go. They're just very worried for the tornadoes. Let's try to come back to verse 1. I still have six more verses to go. Here we go. Guard your steps. And to hear, to listen, is better than to offer sacrifices. Back to what I was saying was that Solomon is actually giving a sort of warning, a sort of alert, like the one that you just got on your phone. Warning, alert, and it didn't say tornado, and didn't say amber. It actually said something very, very intense, and it's this. Don't overlook true sacrifice or don't be lazy in your sacrifice unto the Lord. Because we need to realize what is being said here is this, and you should write this down in your notes, and it's that God has no pleasure in those who do all the right things for all the wrong reasons. If you do all the right things for all the wrong reasons, then everything you did right is actually all wrong because it's not true, it's not genuine, it's hypocrisy, it's fake, and it didn't come from the true place of your heart where God is doing a work. It came from a very evil place. And this is what Solomon is saying. Solomon says if we're going to come to the house of the Lord, don't just do things to do things and then your heart's not even there. The first thing that you should do when you come into the presence of God is shh. Just be quiet for a little while and listen. Listen is a little bit better than the sacrifice of fools. Um, off the bat, I thought about King Saul. If you've never heard of King Saul in the Old Testament, the Lord comes up to King Saul through the prophet and says, go destroy all your enemies and leave nothing behind. King Saul goes to war, and what does he do? He takes some of the uh, sheep and, um, from King Saul, from the Amalekite king, um, and he also brings the king alive. When, Saul, uh, when the prophet goes to visit King Saul and he says, how was the war? He's like, I did everything that the Lord said. And then he hears the bleeding of the sheep and he finds out that the king is still alive. He says, no, you didn't. You were disobedient to the Lord. Half obedience is still full disobedience. And he tells something to Saul that crushes Saul's dynasty forever. And it's this. Now I'm going to give your kingdom to a greater person than you. Saul's sacrifice was a sacrifice of a fool. He won. 
He, he did victory. He destroyed the enemy. But guess what? He did all the right things with all the wrong reasons. So guess what it did before the presence of God? It had no true weight and no true value because it was all hypocrisy. Are you with me today? I know you were distracted by the alerts and all these things, but this is very important to understand. It was all nonsense. And you know what he tells uh, Saul? He says these words, Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. Listen and obey, it's better than what you just did, King Saul. You should have done what God said. Hey, I'm going to ask you a question. Actually, I'm going to ask you about three questions today so you kind of know where we're at in the message. Here's the first question. Write this down. How do we enter into the house of God? Can you ask yourself that question today? Maybe I should break it down a little bit more. How do you enter into the presence of God? I want you to be honest now with yourself, honest with God. How would you walk in here today? How was your heart when you came in here? How was your mind, your attitude? This is interesting, this question and this first verse. It's interesting because we're speaking about our place in worship. All throughout Scripture, I'm going to give you a little bit of history here for a moment, just so you can kind of see where we're at, because eventually it's all going to make sense when I end. So in the beginning, it may not, but at the end, it's all going to come around. Ready? All throughout Scripture, we see the importance, we see the reverence of what is worship. It is our devotion to our God, worship. So let's go over some history. Remember that before Solomon steps into the scene, we know that there was the tabernacle. If you remember Moses flees Egypt, he has a massive group of people with him. And from there, they have to now build the tabernacle. And then the tabernacle would go from place to place, move to all these different places as the Israelites were wandering in the wilderness. And they would move the tabernacle and the Ark of the Covenant Wisdom and why was the tabernacle and the ark of the covenant that was inside in the portion of the tabernacle so important? Because that in the old testament was where the presence of God was at. So they knew that wherever we wander, wherever we go, it is crucial that the presence of the Lord is with us. You know what's the greatest thing about a church? It's not that you have 5,000 members, because I've been to churches that have 5,000 members, but no presence of God. I've also been to churches that have um, five or 50 people and have no presence of God. What matters in a gathering of people is this, that we could all be together in here and even walk out and say, the presence of the Lord was there. If it is in the presence, if his presence is inhabiting in his people and in the praises of his people, then we're doing a good job, because God still calls this place his home. And they felt and they knew that wherever we go, the presence must be with us. Hey, listen, listen, listen. Wherever you go, hopefully it's that important to you. That the presence of the Lord is with you. That it's with you. That you cherish it, that you have reverence for it. Your worship unto him. So they built this tabernacle and it would go and, and then... We know that later on King David comes in and King David starts to draw out plans the way he does. And he says, I'm going to build the house of God. I'm going to build the temple. And God's like, nah, not you. Thank you, David. Thanks for thinking it out. Thanks for collecting all the artifacts and all the gold and all the money that we need for the temple. But it's not going to be you. It's actually going to be your son Solomon. David, there's too much blood in your hands. I want Solomon to do it. So Solomon comes into the scene, and his son Solomon takes over the kingdom, and he sits on the throne, and he is the man that finally builds the temple. So you have the tabernacle, the presence of God. Solomon comes in, builds a temple. Why was the temple so important? Because there in the holies of holies, the presence of God would fill that place. It was a moment, and it was a place of worship. The temple was an important house. It was an important building. That's why if you go to Israel today, I didn't put pictures up, forgive me. People are praying by that western wall. And if you've ever seen pictures of it, it's like, why are they praying onto a wall? There's nothing magical or powerful about that wall. It's because they believe that on the other side of that wall, right there stood the Ark of the Covenant where the presence of God would be. So that is sacred land for the Jewish person. So they pray in the place where it's sacred. Does everyone get that? 
So the tabernacle and the temple, these were all sacred places. Nothing was sacred about it but one thing. It was that the presence of the Lord was there. If not, it was just some nails and wood and, 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 and well, you get the rest of it. Solomon begins to build a temple. It takes seven years to build it. Watch how serious this temple was. It takes about 180 or 186 or 183,000, over 180,000 men to build it. I'm going to read quickly just for history. None of this is dire or so important to some of the truths that I want to share, but just for history. In 1 Kings 5, 13 through 16, just so you could see this, it says, King Solomon conscripted a labor force of 30,000 men from all of Israel. He sent them to Lebanon in shifts, 10,000 every month, so that each, so that each would, <clears throat> man would, sorry, so that Wait, wait, every month, so that each man would be uh, one month in Lebanon, two months at home. Um, Adoniram, whatever his name was, was in charge of the labor force. Solomon had 70,000 common laborers, 80,000 quarry workers in the hill country, and 3,600 foremen to supervise the work. At the king's command, they, uh, they carried large blocks of high-quality stone and shaped them to make the foundation of the temple and Men from the city of Gabal helped Solomon and Hiram's builders prepare the timber and stone for the temple. Look at how many men, look at, look at the detail of all this. There was reverence, and look how much reverence they had for building God's house. 1 Kings 6-7 says this, The stones used in the construction of the temple were fished at the quarry. See that? At the quarry, where were they not finished at? They were not finished in the temple place, but at the quarry. So there was no sound of hammer, axe, or any other iron tool at the building site. So what's so important about what I'm saying here? The temple stood for a long time. But then the enemies come and destroy the temple. And the people are like, oh no, we can't worship God. They build another temple years later. And then the Babylonians come and they destroy it. Boom. Oh, no, we can't worship again after we built and rebuilt the temple. Then Herod comes in and he builds a temple. Everyone worship. And then 70 AD, the Romans come and boom, they destroy the temple of God again. Oh, no. Our building's gone. Right now, many of you got a tornado warning. The tornado rips through here when we're not here, obviously. And rips this building. Are we going to say, oh no, we have no place to worship God? So here's an issue. When that was destroyed, we see that they also built synagogues. Synagogues were built as the house of God. And in the synagogues, in this place, they would read the Torah. And they would read about God and learn about God and they would worship. And I could say this as I get into my points today, that Nest Church when we come together, is the house of God. Like the synagogue, we are the building of God. We are the people of God. And you may say, wait a minute, so God doesn't need a building anymore? It's us? It's no longer a, a temple? It's no longer a tabernacle? I'm going to read you three verses. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God has no restrictions. Here it is. It says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And watch what the book of Acts says. He made everything. And it says, he does not live in temples built by hands. In Matthew 18, 20, it says, for where two or three come together, even in my name, there I am with them. The Lord is inhabiting in people now. Who is this God that does not need to live in temples anymore? In 1 Timothy 1.17, it says, this is the God that we serve. He's the king eternal. He's immortal. He's invisible. He's the only God. Who is not held back by a building. There is no restrictions. The Lord reigns and desires to dwell. Dwell where? In every single one of us and in our midst as we come together. 
And Solomon, in chapter 5, is showing us what the Lord is concerned with. It's not about a temple. It's not about a synagogue. And here's my point today. It's not a cathedral. And it's not a church building. It's not about outward appearance. It's not about the outer things. The music style that they sing. It's not about how they dress and how the pastor dresses or does not dress. Because I've been told one time, I went into a group of pastors and a pastor looked at me up and down. He poked at my hair. I had long hair at the time. And he looked at me and he says, pastors shouldn't have their hair that way. And pastors definitely don't dress like that. And I remember looking at him and I say, I feel very bad for the people that go to your church. It's not about how they dress. Should we dress modest? Should we be respectful? Of course. But it's deeper than all these things. God is more concerned, if you could hear anything, listen to this, about your inward worship than any other thing. Oh, but I have an earring here and I have a hair colored here and I have a tattoo over there. Okay, but speak to me about the attitude of your heart. Speak to me if God is alive inside of you. Speak to me if there's hope in you. He's, he's concerned about the inwardness of man. I want you to write this second question if you can. How is the attitude of your heart? Come on, how's the health of the attitude of your mind? How is it? You know what the Lord said to Samuel when Samuel was going to pick the next king? Listen to these words. We're going to put it on the screen and tell me what it says about you. The Lord looks at Samuel. David is a little ruddy boy. All his brothers are stronger, wiser. And little David comes before the prophet and he says, this can't be the king of Israel. He's weak. He's skinny. He's young. And the Lord says, do not look on his outward appearance. Do not look at his height. Do not look at his stature. Because I've rejected those. For the Lord sees as man sees. Look what he says. Man looks on the outward appearance. But the Lord looks on the heart. Guys, how's the attitude of your heart? I want to show you a picture of one of the temples that was built, that was destroyed, by the way. It's not there anymore. Here it is. Check this out. Beautiful temple. In this temple that you're about to see on the screen, on the southern steps to enter into the temple, the steps of the temple were, were built in different sizes. Uh, the, the steps were, were different sizes to go up to the uh, original temple and even Herod's temple. And the reason why the steps were different sizes is because you couldn't just run up the steps. You couldn't just walk fast up the steps. So when they built the temple, they said, I know what we're going to do. When people go to the house of God, we're going to make the steps these different dimensions so that everyone that comes to church that day has to watch carefully, guard your feet, when they enter the house of God. Meaning that the crowds of people that are going to go there now, if they're going to go into the presence of God before they go, they need to slow down. There's no way you can hurry because you're going to trip and fall and look like a fool. So the only way to go into the temple, you have to be careful and watch your step, guard your step. Another way of saying that is slow down when you come into the house of God. Hey, listen, slow things down is what Solomon was saying, and it's what the builders were saying when they built the temple. I'm going to ask you a question. You came here today, you got dressed. Now the rain is here holding us in together. Here it is. Slow down. Did you slow down before you came today? Some of you are like, no, I was running late and I hit 80. <laughs> oh, 
I'm glad you made it. But did you slow down? What do you mean? Before you came to listen to the word of God, did you say to yourself, let me examine my heart? Before I go into the presence of God, so I ask you this question, why did you come here and why are you here today? Is there sin that you need to confess to God? Are you joyful and you need to rejoice before God? Are you sad? Are you heavy? Are you burdened so you need to pray before God? The greatest thing that I could tell you today is to guard your worship, also known as guard your steps. Guard your steps. Be reverent in your worship. I'm going to be very honest with you. We live in a culture where everything is fast. Everything's called Insta now. From your Instacart to your Instagram, everything is fast. Quickly, I want everything Insta. I go to fast food place, and I know I shouldn't go there, but I do. I go every once in a while, and when I'm there and they take longer than what they should, I get so aggravated and anxious, and I start panicking in my car because they went a few minutes over than what they normally do because we want everything Insta. We live in an Insta culture. This generation should be called Insta generation. We live in a culture even where those in authority are not being respected. I want to share this with you. Don't let the culture that you live in, that we live in, don't let it creep into our hearts, leading us to treat the church and to treat our God the same way. Our God is not an insta-God. And our church is a church that we give respect to the authority of who is God. I want us all to remember this, that God is holy. He is majesty, majestic in all of his being. He is awesome for what that word is and means in all of his ways. And we need to remember that we come into the presence of God. And when we come into the house of God, we're in his presence. And he deserves our utmost respect and reverence and worship. Come on, church. Guard your worship. Guard your worship. Guard your steps. It's not living one way Sunday and then living another way the rest of the week. If that's you and me, this is what we say to each other today. Guard your worship. Colossians 1 says, We pray this in order that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, may Please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work. Guard your worship. Start disciplining yourself. How can I even do it together? Maybe I could come on time. I heard a pastor share this in a message, and he says, if we're going to go to a ball game, you wouldn't want to be late. When I take my son to the heat games, he loves the fire when it comes out, so I have to make sure I get there on time so that the fire comes out. I posted the fire this week. And he likes that part. He likes the introduction. If I go to a heat game, I'm not going to be late. If a, if a very important person invited me over for dinner, if I go eat at a dignitarian's house and they invite me, I'm not going to show up late. If they tell me 7.30, I'd probably be there by 7.15. So make this important. Guard your steps. Slow down and examine yourself. Make it important. Make Nest Church important. Come ready. Slow down. Why are you here today? And when you find all these things, get here and bring your greatest worship unto the Lord. Amen? Solomon is speaking to us about worship, and he says this, Do not be rash with your mouth. Do not let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you're on earth. Let your words be few. Don't make rash promises, he says. Let your words be few. Verse 3, for a dream comes with so much business and a fool's voice and so many words. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than you should vow and not pay 
It is better to say nothing than to make a promise and not keep it. One theologian says it this way. I'm going to quote him. not sure if, if I gave this for them to put up. It says this. When we come before God, our minds are full of our own business rather than with the worship of God. When we talk too much, we usually talk like fools. This can be especially bad in the house of God. Don't offer up empty promises. God knows when it's just talk. The other day, my wife approached me with something, and she says, what do you think about this? And I just looked at it, and I looked at her, and it's hard to say what it, I could think about it. And it deals a lot with individuals who say that they believe in the Lord. I'm trying to be very careful. <laughs> An individual who is very um, strict for certain things when it comes to the things of God. Maybe you know someone like that. They become very hard on certain things when it comes to the things of God. And you could say, what's, what's wrong with that? Well, what's wrong with it is if in that same, and I, we talked a little bit with some friends yesterday, and you'll, you'll see it soon about like what you post and stuff like that. What's wrong with that is if you post that and everyone sees you as that person. But then like your next post, it's contradicting everything that you stand so hard for. You know what's better if you're that person? Don't put up anything at all. The God thing or the bad thing. It's better not to talk a lot. Because then people look at you and say, she's just a hypocrite. She's godly when she needs to be godly. But man, she knows how to party when it's time to party. Does that make sense to you? That's what Solomon is saying. Be careful with what you do with your life. Be careful with what you do with your words. Don't offer up empty promises. God knows when it's just talk. Let your worship, let your words be pure and honest. He's in heaven. We're on earth. He's sovereign. He knows everything. And we're over here on earth on this side of eternity. We're trying to figure out everything. So let your words be sacred. Let your life be sacred. Don't let it be just lip service, but let it be true worship unto the Lord. Here it is, three words, because I'm going to wrap this up. Guard your worship. Guard it. In Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 23, I'm going to skip to that last verse. It says this, whatever your lips utter, you must be sure to do, because you made your vow freely to the Lord, and your God, the Lord your God, you made that vow to him with your mouth. So I always be asked, I've, I'm always asked this, well, what do you think the Lord's name in vain is? Let's have a great conversation before we close up. I wouldn't want to scandalize our church because this is being recorded and I wouldn't want to scandalize anyone here. If you were in my living room, we'd have a much more honest conversation. <laughs> but I think it's deeper than just the God and then God D right after that. I mean, I'm not in agreement by saying, walking around saying God D all the time. But it's deeper than that. I think it's deeper than just saying, oh, Jesus. I've, I've been around Christians that my own children have said, oh, Jesus. And they're like, shh. You can't say that. I'm like, at least he's not saying, oh, Lucifer. <laughs> I think it's deeper than just saying Jesus. Some people get really mad and they say, Jesus Christ. Or they say, Jesus. They, they, they add some like, sazón um, completo, when they add some seasoning to it. And they'll say, Jesus bleeping Christ. And they say all these things. And I don't, I'm not in agreement with any of that. But I think it's speaking the Lord's name in vain. I think it's deeper than all of that. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? 
You know how many people I've sat with and they've said, the Lord has revealed this to me. And once they say that, you're like, can't come against that. And some time passes and the last thing it was was a revelation from God. That's lip service. That's using God's name in vain so that you could get your way. You're putting God in something that God's like, "Ah, I didn't call you to do that. I once had a good friend of mine that wanted me to hang out with him when I was younger. And he says, come, it's awesome what God is doing. So what's God doing? And he would go to clubs. He says, I just go to clubs, and you know, he has a drink in his hand, and I'm just in the club, and I'm just, just there hanging out with everyone. But God's opening up doors for me to minister to people, and I'm like, I don't think God's called me to that. Because you know where there is darkness, there's no light, and I'm like, I wouldn't even want to tempt myself in that. Like, I know already what I'm capable of. I don't want to be in that club. I'd rather be at home. My wife knows where I'm at, and my kids know where I'm at. I think I'm safer there because I know who I am. We got to be careful how we use God's name in vain. We do what we do for God, and what we say, we say for God. Look at the scripture. We're going to end. Okay, guys, we're going to end. It says, whatever your lips utter, if it's unto the Lord, if it's for the Lord, if it's things of God, make sure you do it. Even when you keep that promise, make sure you do it. Do not use the Lord's name in vain. And I believe this because it's happened to me. People take the Lord's name in vain all the time, so do I, by the way that we worship God. You know how many times I wear the shirt and the hat? I'm a child of God. But I've done things in my life that definitely did not worship God. You ever been there? Don't be so hard on yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Just come and slow down today. Slow down. And examine yourself. And say, you know what? I do need some work. I do need to slow down. There's always room to get better. God's not done with me yet. Verse 6, he says this in chapter 5 of the book of Ecclesiastes. Let lead you into sin. And do not say before the messenger that it was a mistake. Why should God be angry at your voice and destroy the work of your hands? If you're going to appear before the Lord and before the people of God, don't come empty-handed. Come and give a true sacrifice, a true offering to the Lord. Deuteronomy tells us this even from the Old Testament. When it was the festival of unleavened bread or the festival of weeks or the festival of tabernacles, Scripture says that no one would be able to appear or should appear before the Lord empty-handed, but that each person was to bring a gift in proportion to the way the Lord God has blessed you. What can you give to God today in worship by the way he's blessed you? How many of you in this room are blessed? I'm not saying you're perfect. I'm asking if you've been blessed. How does that speak of when it comes to your worship? So as I end, I want to quote a pastor that said this, and he says, Now again, coming to the house of God can include bringing an offering. Yes, I do believe in the basic principle of tithing. We did that earlier. We gave to the Lord. We have a black box. We have our app. You could give freely with a good heart here in our church, giving even a tenth, as the Old Testament tells us. But even better, in the New Testament, Jesus says a cheerful giver, which is even better than a tenth. He says, giving a tenth of our income, joyfully celebrating with God and God's people all that he's done, in that he's lavished his goodness and he's given us his blessing to us. Let's keep going. And he says this, and so the least that we can do is to return a portion of it as an expression of worship. That is an aspect, love this, 
But don't default with the word giving, thinking only in terms of money. In the same way, don't default with the world, worship, and think it only means singing. Let's keep going. Giving is a disposition. It's an attitude of the heart. It's the idea that when you come to the house of God, it's the one place that you're not coming to get. But you're coming to give. You're coming to offer. Church, we're done. Guard your worship. For when dreams, verse 7, increase and words grow many, there is vanity under the sun. But God is the one that you must fear. What Solomon is saying in verse 7 is talk is cheap. It's like daydreamers. It's like all these other useless activities. What's the greatest thing that mankind can do is to live out a life of reverence. Fear God instead. Let it bring worship. Oh Lord, how should I... How should I love you? How should I worship you? The, the great lawyer asked Jesus one day. In Mark 12, Jesus says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, with all of your strength. Love God, worship God with all of your being. I'm going to ask you three more questions. Once again, here they are. Number one, how are we entering the house of God. That's what we started with. How are you entering his presence? Shh. Slow down. Watch your steps. Don't fall fool like a fool. Examine. Is my heart right? Is my mind right? Is my attitude right? What am I saying? Am I saying, is it right? One of the best things that you could probably do with your life, for some people, they're not morning people, and they say, ah, not me, I don't like the mornings. But there's something about waking up a little bit earlier and just meditating there. Shh, the kids haven't, at least in my house, the kids haven't woken up yet. The wife hasn't woken up yet. Everything's quiet. And there's silence in my house. And I could just meditate on his word, in his presence. And I could say, what am I doing today? How can I worship God today? In every conversation that I have, is my heart right? I'm going to go see this person today. Am I ready to talk to them? Slow down, church. Slow down in his presence. Don't read a quick devotional and get going and fast and everything. Shh. Learn how to slow down. Get your mind right. Get your heart right. Guard your worship. Are you entering his presence well, healthy? Because the second question is, how is that attitude of your heart? How is the attitude of your mind? And I end with this third question. The lawyer says, how, Lord, what must I do to get into eternal life? What do I need to do? And he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Here's my third question. What is my greater worship unto the Lord? What is my greater worship? How can I love you, Lord, with all of my heart, with all of my mind, with all of my soul, with all of my strength? How can I slow down? How can I examine? And how can I worship you better so that I could be a better child of God on this earth, a better human being on this earth? 
Do you feel the Lord talking to your heart today? Lord, I pray for this room. I pray that today you would speak to your children. That we would slow down and guard our worship. That we would guard our feet. That we would slow down. And that we would examine whether the worship of our heart and the worship of our mind is truly healthy and pure before you. And if it is, amen, and if it's not, if you could help us through that process to get to this third question so that we could give greater worship in our lives going forward. I want to be a better worshiper in how I raise my kids, a better worshiper in how I am as a husband, a better worshiper as I am as a friend, a better worship as I am as a colleague, And the things that I do in this life, I want it all to give worship and honor to you with every conversation, with every movement that I make. Lord, the greatest places that I could worship are not in the public realm where everyone sees me. I pray that you would take me to places of greater worship in the secret places where no eyes are on me but yours. Let me learn to worship there well. Lord, bless this house, the house of God. Let us slow down. Let us get here and let us worship well. Not just on Sundays, but every day of our lives. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name. And together we all say, Amen. Amen. That was good. Um, I don't know how you're going to leave today. But you got to get out of here. <laughs> hey, guys, get those three questions and really ask it in your heart. And guard your worship. Discipline yourself to guard it. So where do you start? Just start one hour or, or if that's too much, start one, uh, five-minute slots. Then work it to 30, then work it to hours, then work it to days and say one day at a time, I'm going to guard my worship today. I'm going to honor God. This is the house that God dwells in. I want to give him a great offering of worship. Amen? Hey, remember these three words. If you can remember anything away from guard your worship, remember that you are loved. Can you say a little bit louder for the person that may be here for the first time? You are love. Can you say it one more time for the person in the back? You are love. And say it for yourself because sometimes you don't believe it for yourself. You are loved. Go in his love today. Amen. God bless you guys. Have an awesome Sunday. Stay dry. See you next Sunday.